Amen. Quite a, a complex scripture, isn't it? As we think about this and we look at it and maybe you're new <coughs> to Christianity. Well, we're going to step into this and ask some questions about how these scriptures all connect and all fall together. But first of all, don't usually do this, but a bit of family news that I can't avoid. First of all, uh, I'd like to congratulate uh, uh, John and Carol Ann. Uh, stand up, please. They are getting married next Saturday. So, you know, Willow Park's a great church to hang out because you can be playing the violin week after week in this church where John is, and you can see a lovely prayer intercessor on the front row, and God just brings the two together. So (coughs) they wanted to invite everybody to their wedding next Saturday, that is to the service, uh, not to the meal, I know that's quite intimate, but they love it. What time is it again? And who's in the service? I am, yeah. Okay. So I'll be there one o'clock, God willing. And uh, just joking. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to look forward to a good time. But they um, would love, because this church is their church family. And they, uh, they would love that you'd all just come and celebrate with them at one o'clock on Saturday. So there we go. And for the rest of you in the world on the internet, <laughs> sorry, you can't come. Okay. Uh, so it's exciting what God is, God is doing and the way God is, is just doing some lovely things. That's me just changing gear a bit from talking about a marriage into the sermon and really just going, okay, how do I make that transition? Um, I believe that when you've come here today, you know, you want to understand what God's really about. And I want to talk to you about purpose. What is the purpose that exists in our lives? What is the purpose of why we are as church, the purpose of our life and the purpose of our, our, our walk with, with the Lord? And really, we'll get to this in a moment, the purpose of the temple. But uh, we'll understand that this story starts with an amazing scene. And have you ever read scripture and gone, what does that mean? Why does Jesus do that? What on earth is going on right now? Let's look at the first bit of that scripture. Right at the beginning there, and it talks about that Jesus had left Bethany. In fact, he'd been going backwards and forwards to Bethany. And this is a very confusing scripture for many people. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Okay, so we discover that Jesus is hungry. That's good because many of us are hungry at different times, correct? And he is hungry and they make that point. And seeing a distant fig tree, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now this would be remarkable if it did have fruit because this is the spring, not the harvest time for fig trees. And yet I guess if anybody can expect the miraculous in fruitfulness, it's Jesus Christ. But he goes there and as he arrives, he sees all the lush leaf. He sees everything wonderful and he found it was nothing but leaves and you can't eat fig tree leaves because it was not the season for figs. Everybody knows what's going on here. And then verse uh, goes on to say, verse 13, Or 14, yes, then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it, and I'm reaching Jerusalem. I mean, mean, he curses the tree. 
He speaks to the tree. It's unusual in Scripture that Jesus kills anything. True? How many times does he kill anything in Scripture? Well, actually, twice. There is a tree, a fig tree, and I love gardening, as you know. And, and I've never grown figs yet, but, you know, who knows? And... And we understand that he actually dispatched a demonic legion into a group of pigs that ran and went over a cliff and died. So two incidences. So it's a pretty important moment when Christ does it. And you might think, well, what's going on? Is he having a sugar low? Did he not get up and have his breakfast? Is he really irritable like my kids when they don't get food, right? You know that feeling, this side of the church? You know how difficult it can get when they're there. I've driven many times now from, from the Saskatchewan, the land of promise and hope, to Kelowna. And as I've come across with my kids in the back of the car, I know that they start bickering. They start tearing each other to pieces. They start going at each other. And I know that it's a time to pull in a medicine hat and go to Dairy Queen. Get that sugar up. Then it happens again outside of Calgary. It's time to pull into strength. Rathmore to Tim Hortons. Then it happens in Banff and you've got to pull in and kill an elk and, and carry on. I know that when they get really cranky, you know, is Jesus just cranky? Problem is that some of us believe that Jesus is cranky and he's cranky towards you. And I want to tell you that he's not cranky towards you. That he absolutely loves you, but what's going on? He looks at this tree, he feels frustrated. Now, you can't understand this scripture without the three sections together. Section number one, he curses the fig tree. Section number two, he loses it in the temple. Section number three, he comes back and they see that the fig tree is dead from the root. And then he teaches about prayer, forgiveness and mountains falling. If you try and understand this scripture on its own, you are going to be very confused apart from that Jesus has the power to speak to a tree and kill it. But that's not what's going on here. And so we now find him in the temple. And he goes into the temple and he's already been to the temple earlier on because he'd come from healing blind Bartimaeus in Mark's gospel, had gone and found the cult, had gone in and they'd sang Hosanna and the great moment. And this is now the moment when he comes in on Monday morning, the beginning of Passion Week. As he comes in on Monday morning, he, he sees it and he starts to turn tables upside down. Doves are flying everywhere. He's blocking the passages because it's clear from this scripture that there would have been a shortcut from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives and people were using this as a shortcut. It was mayhem. He created an environment of, of anger. He was speaking. People were amazed. He was stopping the sale of doves and sacrifices in the temple, turning upside down the tables. So how am I going to understand this? You have to understand it as a parable. And the parable is this, that when he spoke to the fig tree, he was really speaking about a system that had to die and God was bringing something new. 
And when you look at this, you have to understand that the purpose of the temple had been wrecked. That the purpose of why it was given and why it existed had been dismantled. Because if you are new to Christianity, let me tell you something. God from creation has had a divine plan to redeem the whole of humanity. And he has had this plan to be at work and to make a difference that God's massive story, even though you may watch CBC News all the time, that's not the massive story, although it's terrifying at the moment. The massive story is that God is reaching out to the whole of humanity and he wants nothing to stop his glory, his gospel, his truth being revealed to his creation. That's what he's doing. But we've got the story, and the temple is part of this story. And the real purpose of the temple, well, we understand an idea of this temple space. And the real purpose of this temple space was that it was the place where the Gentiles could come. And there's a beautiful scripture in Isaiah 57, verse um, Verse 8, Isaiah 56, verse 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain. Who are these? Who will I bring to the holy mountain where the temple is? Who are these? Well, these are the nations of the world. These are Gentiles. These are the people that are in the other nations. God always intended that he would bring through the blazing shine of Israel. He would bring the whole world and every nation would look and go, we believe in the God of Yahweh, the God of Jehovah, the mighty God, because look at the glory shining through and I will bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. I love a number of words here. I love this word, give them joy. You see, God's intention when he comes into our lives is to give us joy. Not always to give us happiness. Not always to make everything just perfect and rosy. And I'm not preaching that you come to Christianity and everything's going to run smoothly for you. But there is a deep, deep joy that is birthed when you become a Christian. That is life-changing. That is life-giving. And is the most wonderful gift to this world. Through Jesus Christ. Gives you joy in my house. I love that word, joy. And there, burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's why it was there, to atone for sin. Sin will be accepted on my altar. That's what they did. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. If I love the word joy, I really love the word all. All the nations. Everybody. God's calling everybody to come to the temple, to pray, to worship, to everything. Gentiles to gather there and they can come before the living God and they can speak their prayers as well. It's not about exclusion or being exclusive. It's about that God welcomes everything. But the frightening thing about the temple was that Jesus knew that the temple had lost its purpose. They had locked God out of the temple. He was barred. He was barred from this. He'd lost his purpose. And the most dangerous place any one of us can end up is when we lose the why out of our Christianity. 
We lose the why do I believe? Why do I pray? Why do I follow Jesus? Why? And, and they're surprised at what Jesus is doing. He's making a ruckus. First of all, he curses a fig tree. Secondly, he goes into the temple and he turns over tables. He starts declaring because it's no longer fit for purpose. And he's taking everybody, bang, by surprise. Have you ever done that? I did this on Friday. I took everybody by surprise in Canadian Tire. I can't be taken anywhere. I went with Michelle. I said, I, I said before I go away for a few days, um, I'll, I'll clean all the windows in the house. Good husband. And... And she said, okay, but I need a ladder. I said, we need to go and buy a ladder. Well, let's go to Canadian Tire. So I went to Canadian Tire. And I went to the ladder section. And I climbed up the ladder to test it. But the floor's very shiny. (laughs) So I get about eight foot up. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is working. And I I was talking to myself. You're going to land right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm going all the way down at speed now. So I remove my fingers from underneath it to on top. I spread my legs slightly and I slide all the way down. And all you hear is boom, right the way through Canadian Tire. And I'm on the floor holding the ladder. <laughs> Instantly, a crowd gathered around me. <laughs> and somebody said, what are you doing, Pastor Phil? And, and there I am. I caught everybody's attention, not in the house of prayer, but in the house of Canadian Tire, which is almost as good. And there I was, and, and, I, and then I looked at everybody and I said, I'm sorry, that didn't work very well, did it? <laughs> and they all disappeared and never said a word. Michelle wasn't with me or the kids, but when I got to check out, I said, oh, did you hear a big boom in the shop? She said, yeah, I did. She said, what, yeah, why? I said, oh, that was me. <laughs> what do you mean it was you? I tested the ladder by climbing to the top of it and then it slid and fell down. Oh, she's dined out on that for days. Um, I caught the attention. This is exactly what Jesus is doing, but in a, he's catching their attention. Now, what's he really trying to say? It's lost its purpose. But actually, the temple, he's actually saying he's coming under judgment. There's a problem. It's coming under judgment because actually the system that is working and happening, it is failing. This is not working for humanity. This is failing for the whole of us. This is not happening. It is failing at this moment. You see, God doesn't want our faith to fail. When he replaces what he's going to replace it with, He's replaced it with something so magnificent, so glorious, so dynamic that your faith will not fail you. It's not going to fail you. He's going to be with you. He loves you. He stands with you. He has redeemed humanity. But it's on judgment. It's going to judge. 70 AD, the temple's gone. It's destroyed. It's like... Is this just a little story about Jesus being upset because they're selling 
things in the house of the Lord? Is it just about consumerism? Is it just about that they were selling doves and doing this and cornering the, the kind of market on sales? Is it just about that? No, it's not. Some good points there to consider about the commercialization of our faith. But it's not about that. What it's about is Jesus in a second interrupts the whole of the system. Interrupts the whole of the way things are done. He turns over the tables and stops the show and for a moment says, time out. This is done with. We've come to the end. What God wants to do cannot be contained in this temple anymore. John the Baptist prophesied three years earlier that the axe was coming to the root of the tree. Remember that prophecy? And at that moment, he's saying, wait, I am pressing pause. I'm creating a moment in time. You look good. You, you look incredible. It was an amazing building. It has the greatest of history. And yet it had the biggest of leaves. It looked as if it could feed the world. It looked as if it could deliver. But when you got close up to it, it had no fruit. And what God loves, God loves fruit. He loves fruit in our lives. He loves fruit in the nations. He loves fruit in our church. He loves to come to your marriage and bring fruitfulness. God loves fruit in season and out season. I preached on that from Jeremiah 17 two weekends ago. And we saw beautiful fruit when 27 people were baptized last Sunday night. Wasn't that the best service ever? It was wonderful. Testimony after testimony of marriages uh, uh, touched by God. The great, one of the lovely moments for me was baptizing married couples together who had rediscovered and found Jesus Christ as their Lord to save. Do you see that? Two at a time. doesn't get any better than that. It was my payday last week. It was wonderful. It was everything that it's about. God loves fruitfulness. So is it about commercialism? No, it's about God now. Jesus is pushing pause. Time is stopping. And he's saying, you've got a lot of hungry people in this world. And this world is not being fed. You've got big leaves, but you've got no fruit. And that's a danger with all of our lives. We look good from a distance, but there's no fruit in our spiritual depth. We're battling. There are areas of our lives. So let me carry on with the narrative a bit. Because we all understood that the temple could never contain God. I mean, God who created the cosmos. God who created, if you like, quantum physics. The God who brought supernovas and and has brought whole constellations and galaxies together. The God that brought and spoke creation into being is being held in a, in a, a box. Well, for that generation, that was how God reached out. We even know Solomon was unsure about this. Was it in 1 Kings 8 and verse 27? He talked about how he says, but will God really, but will God really dwell on earth? Question mark. The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less 
this temple I have built. He's saying, it's right. Something's happening. But you know what? Can this really contain what God wants to do in, our, in the world? Is it all just going to be about this? Is this really what God can do to reach every civilization, every nation? Is this really what God can do? Is this it? Because actually what the problem was that this temple had become uh, corrupt. It had become inadequate. It had lost its purpose. It had lost its direction. The temple was inadequate and the temple had become corrupt. It had become a hotbed of violence, a hotbed of rebellion. Rebellion. It become a hotbed of self-interest. It become this place where rich and people gained from it. It become this place where the rich and the famous got plugged in. They had lost the purpose, and the be, the temple was now inadequate, and the temple was now utterly and completely corrupt. And this is why Jesus started to turn tables over. He's saying, "You're not fit for purpose." You know. We've got a problem. There is a corruption at the heart of this. And we can't contain what God wants to do in the world. I've come to do something. Now, what was the original key purposes of the heart of the temple? I want to mention three. The divine intention, if you like. And everything you read as you read the glorious descriptions of of the building of the temple, as you read these things, there are lovely divine intentions. First of all, um, welcoming. That they wanted to be welcoming. That the nations would be welcomed. It would be a place of welcome. It would be a place of light. It would be a place of generosity. And when you look at this and understand that they lost any sense of being light to the world, it just became about a overthrowing the Romans. They lost any sense of welcoming. It became so sectarian, so diverse, so full of infighting, so full of viciousness, so full of religious righteousness of their own self-righteousness. It becomes something that didn't reflect the heart of God because you may not know this, but the heart of God utterly welcomes people. He welcomes people. He loves people. He welcomes us all. He loves us. He wants it to be his, his place to be a place of light and a place of generosity that makes such a difference in life. So what did he actually become in the temple? Which pretty clear as you study and you read it, things that are a danger for all of us. So I think you can know where I'm going with this is that what Jesus was doing was declaring that he was bringing the temple down. And the reason he was declaring this was because the temple had become a place of malice. The temple had become a place of anger. The temple had become a place of exclusion. Become exclusive. The temple had become what a place of unforgiving. 
A place of assassination. A place where they saw him speaking and they would look at him and the sniper's eye would be on Jesus and they were going to take Jesus out. Your temple. You are called for purpose. We are called for purpose. We are now the living temple of the living God. We are now the living stones of a global temple that is made up of you and I, of believers in Jesus. And you may not realize this, but you as a Christian, you may be new. I see some of our people have been baptized uh, last week here today, and I rejoice in that. But they need to know that they're not just part of Willow Park Church, but they're part of the greatest global movement ever seen to humanity that is driven forward, that we are a living temple of the glory of God. And the one thing that will pollute our lives is if we allow malice, if we allow anger, if we allow a sense of of exclusion, uh, being exclusive, if we allow unforgiveness at at the very core of our life. See, these emotions and many other ones that were in the temple, that they will completely stop you and I from bearing fruit. You will not bear spiritual fruit when these things dwell in our lives. It takes away from us. It affects us. And I guess we've got to decide who we really want to be. You know, uh, my mother-in-law, you've met her back home. She has, she has chickens in the garden. Uh, it's actually our old ho- uh, family home before we moved to Canada. But we moved in 2010, which was not a good time to sell a house in Europe. Do you remember those days? And so, so she's been living in it and renting it so that we can get by. And, and, and it's been lovely. But in, now in the back of my, my, my yard, there are, there's whole chickens have arrived. And every time I go back, she keeps adding to the chickens. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and there's all these chickens and they name them. And I sit there when I go back to, to England uh, and, and sit in, in what was my backyard and I'm watching chickens clucking and scratching and pecking and messing up my lovely lawn. And there they are. I'm not bitter. Let it go, Phil. And the chickens are there, but you know, it's been, they are, they are horrible. They peck each other. The eggs are quite nice in the morning. Uh, but, but all of this, you know, listen, you've got to decide if you hang out with chickens, you're going to end up clucking like them. But God doesn't want you to be like that. God wants you to soar with the eagles. He wants you to lift it up. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to know that sense of actually malice, anger, it's, it's the pecking nature of humanity. God never wants us to rip at each other and tear each other and rip us each other to pieces. He's called us to higher things. And he's taken out the temple and replacing it with a new system. Something different. What is this? Well, we're getting there now and let's move forward to the verses that taught, uh, talk about this, what um, verse 22 of chapter 11, it says, 
First of all, it says, hey, have, this is, I'm, I'm rebuilt, I'm, I'm taking away this temple and I'm rebuilding it with a different kind of people, a different emphasis, something completely amazing. Now, I've got to take this seriously because I've got to decide... I think one author wrote, he said, when I wake up in the morning, I want to get out of bed and I want to terrify the enemy and I want the enemy to say, oh no, he's got out of bed, watch out. You know, it starts with have faith in God. See, they return to it and they see that the fig tree is dead at the root. And the parable is now coming to the end. He's cursed it. He's turned over tables. He comes back and they're surprised because it's dead at the root. Everything changes now. In the next five days, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross and giving his life. And he's going to make the whole sacrificial system of the temple obsolete because the Lamb of God died once and for all. It's all changing. But what's going to be in the new system? What's going to change? Well, there's going to be a new temple. There's going to be new people. There's going to be a church birth. There's going to be God at work. And what's it going to look like and feel like? It's going to be fantastic. And you and I are part of that new beginning. You and I are part of that global movement. You and I are part of God's purpose and plan to win the nations to the world, to bring joy to people, to preach fruitfulness, to bring freedom, to bring, oh, it's just the best. But it starts with, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, that's been a problem theologically. What do you mean? Well, what is he talking about, mountain? Is it every mountain? What is the mountain? Well, if you bear with me with my line of thought then that mountain in this context of the three stories is this temple. And everything this temple came to represent that was anti what God wanted to do. So what is the mountain? Well, maybe the mountain or the temple in your life are the things that dwelled in He's talking about are things like malice, are things like unforgiveness, are things like anger, are things like resentment, are things like battles within us, are temples that we build within us, that we protect, that are no longer fit for purpose. They're not bearing fruit. They need to die at the root. And I take courage from this in my failings as a human being. Jesus is saying, I can speak to the mountains in my character of who God wants me to be, that is bringing me down and I can speak to those mountains and I can get victory over those mountains, over those man-made temples, over that vileness that exists within the man's heart. I can speak to those in the faith in God and see those mountains in my life crumble and crash because God wants to bring fruitfulness. It's about have faith in God. This new people, this new church, this new generation, they're going to be a people who have faith in God personally to believe that God can do amazing things for them. That's you and me. I want to be part. I became a Christian because I believed this. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that whatever they say will happen, it will be done for them. And he goes on to say, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold any think against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you and your sins. There is no mistake that he went from cursing the fig tree to turning the temple upside down, declaring a new system, a new order, going back and seeing that it's dead from the root, and then teaching this moment about a new kind of people that are going to come, a new kind of group. And what are we about? We are a people who have faith in God. We are a people that believe that mountains can can crumble. We're a people that believe that the key to this is prayer, that the intimacy, the closeness of prayer is such a precious gift that we can pray and God can speak to us and we cannot doubt, that we can learn to press in. And this is all rooted not in a bitterness, malice, anger, exclusiveness. This is rooted in something that God's turning the tables upside down. It's rooted in, unforg- in, in utter forgiveness, that we are a people that are full of faith, we're a people of prayer, and we're a people of forgiveness. And when you've got those three things right in your life, fruit will start to grow and God will start to work. Saying, these are what I'm doing. And you know when church goes wrong, church goes wrong because we lose faith in the God who is leading us. We somehow miss him out in our planning. We know when church goes wrong, we lose prayer at the heart of who God has called us to be. We know that when church goes wrong, we lose a sense of forgiving, of grace, of love, of mercy, of leaving the altar and rushing off and getting those things right right, sorting our lives out, because when we live like that, God smiles, fruit grows, and he comes and works amongst us. You see, that's why at Willow Park Church, we've really focused in some areas. You know, first of all, we've talked about Alpha, and Alpha is amazing, but Alpha is about a brand new transformed life where if you don't know God, you can know God as your personal friend. And everything we believe is that when we preach and when we teach and when we go, we believe that your life can be transformed by the power of the gospel, not by old systems. That's why we run things and have been training over 500 people been through listening life. Because we believe that prayer has to be rooted in a sense of, of communion with God. It's not an exact science. It's not like a hotline to God at all. But it's a sense that God's with us, communion with us. And we can learn to discern his way, his voice, his heart, his emphasis. And that's why I make such an emphasis on this. Because if the Lord says it's got to be a house of prayer and we've got to be a people of prayer, then we've got to learn to be a listening people. We've got to go deeper. And that's why when he talks about forgiveness, 
Forgiveness in the evangelical church in the last 50 years has almost been deleted from our language apart from a personal prayer that we just do, hidden away on our own occasionally. And I see that sometimes there is not a lot of fruit from that because lives aren't being changed. We've got to dig in to what forgiveness and what Anabaptists call the journey of the inner, inner journey of sanctification, of allowing God to deal with you, that he wants to re generate who we are. I am saved and I am being saved and the heavens will open one day and I will be saved. That's the nature. And that's why we do encounter God uh, retreats because we want people to do inventories of their lives. We want them to deal with their junk. We want them to at least uh, ask the questions, why am I always so angry and what do I need God to do? Just those three things are our humble attempt to say, come on. You've teared the temple down, Jesus. You've cursed the fig tree at the root and you've replaced it all with something else. So what you've replaced it with, he says, I want you to have faith in God. I want you to pray and believe that mountains can crumble. And I want you to take unforgiveness so seriously that even when there's a problem, you're willing to run from the altar and get it sorted. Because unforgiveness is the poison that destroys our hearts. And the very nature of God is forgiveness. And that we're willing to do this. And let me finish here. You've got an opportunity to sign up for all three of these things. Encounter God is on the weekend of October 30th, 31st, Halloween weekend. It kind of seems appropriate. And, and also, uh, Listening Life starts a week on Tuesday. Alpha starts a week on Monday. You're all part of care groups and, and activities, and that's amazing. And plug in and get going. There are opportunities to enrich your marriage. There are opportunities to, for, for divorce care. There are opportunities for grief. There's so much going on. But our aim always is John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You and appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. You will not bear fruit if you don't get prayer right. You will not bear fruit if you don't get forgiveness right. You'll not bear fruit if you don't hold on to faith in God. That you, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. What an intimacy. What a closeness. Am I willing to step out and bear fruit? I'm 50 next month. I know that's amazing. Um, I don't know how I got here. I feel like 25. And I'm like, I've got, oh, wow. And you're going, that's young for some of you. Some of you look at me and think, I'm, ain't, I know how I thought about people when, anyway. And... And I, I was thinking, how am I going to mark 50 years, of which 36 of them have been serving the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Because you can't just preach this stuff, you've got to live it. And so this week I'm, I'm driving 10 hours north to um, Williams Lake and then three hours west and getting on a little float plane and flying out to a lake to a little cabin and being dropped off for five days on my own in solitude to seek the Lord. Because I've spent the last 50 years living and I've got another, what, three score years and 10 then? Although we're living a lot longer, I need them to count for the kingdom of God. To pray for me. Because I believe the only way any of us change is by being in his presence. Pray also for the bears. True? Pray, first of all, to me that in that five days, it represents five decades, that the Lord will come and minister to me. And I'll just find his sweet presence. But do, somebody said to me, who'd just been up there, they said, uh, yeah, and one group couldn't leave the little cabin because there was a grizzly walking up and down. So, hallelujah. So we pray that the bears become vegetarians, Lord. And... <laughs> Don't worry, I've got this. It's called a spot. I can press it and it sends a message through GPS and says, I'm okay today. <laughs> and there's another one that says, I'm not dying, but come and get me. And there's a red button here that you press and say, come right now. I am dying. And there's a final button that I've added. It's gold that says, come Lord Jesus now. And... But what we're building and what we're trusting is that the old system is gone. And that we will be a house of prayer, a house of transformation. And each one of our lives will bear fruit in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kickoff. We've got a great church that's changing lives and seeing people born again. We've got a great church. That he's pushing forward. And you're part of it. The old systems have gone. God's rewiring us. And bringing newness in our lives. Let's pause and pray. Even now as we pause and pray for your life, for your family, for where you're at. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to step into a new season of fruitfulness in your life? Are you willing to step into a new season of, of growth? A new season of God's blessing? Are you willing to put yourself out there and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to come close. I own this, and in the temples that I've erected in my own life, that are man-made, I want them dismantled. I want to speak to those mountains and get rid of them. And I want it replaced by the fruit that will last for eternity. I want that fruit in the heart of my marriage, because I want to be a man of God. I want that fruit in the heart of my prayer life 
Because I want to learn how to go deeper. I want that fruit to flow in my life. I'd love to pray for you if you at the beginning of this season are willing to step in. If you can respond to, to this word right across this building right now, just stand up. And by standing up, you're saying, I dedicate that I want the Lord to bring fruit into my life. I want to have a fruitfulness in my life, in my business, where I'm traveling to. Lord, I want a deeper fruitfulness to come. I want that, 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 that strength and that depth. And you know, as your pastor, I will do everything I can through teaching and training this season in October as we talk about changed, about how we get that fruitfulness from the thorn tree to the fruit tree. October, we preach through to November endlessly about how this really changes us. The principles, the heart. We're pouring hours of prayer and work into this at the moment. But it starts with you. And thank you for so many of you standing. It's overwhelming. So Lord, I pray now for my friends and family that as they stand before you, God, you will pour out your presence on them. Then this final song as we worship that your spirit will come and birth in their life. Not just leaves, but fruit. That they'll know the fruitfulness of their faith once again, blossoming in season and out of season. The fruitfulness pouring over their lives. The fruitfulness in their walk and their marriages, their families, their friendships. The fruitfulness will flow. At this moment, Lord, a holy moment in our journey, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.